By staying home, you can not only protect your health and that of those around you, but ensure that our healthcare professionals and our healthcare systems can focus on those who need their help. Hello and welcome to Corona Movie Club, my entertainment world's answer to social isolation. Um, so we have a schedule of movies and we're all going to watch them independently in our own socially isolated homes and then three times a week we're going to get together over the internet and talk about them just like your mom's old book club used to do. Um, except now there's nothing old about it because it's all over the internet and we're all social isolating so that we don't help spread the coronavirus around the universe. Um, so we have people from all over North America who are participating and there's going to be different people on each call from the uh, core group. And so every episode, I'm going to come in and introduce the film that we're going to be watching, as well as the names of the people that are going to be on that week's call or that episode's call, because we're going to be doing this three times a week. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy. Let's go to the movies. It's something to do. So the next couple episodes are documentaries, um, which is a fun little sort of mini series. It's only two, but little mini series of documentary analysis that we're going to do in the middle of Corona Movie Club. Um, so first up is Raiders, the story of the greatest fan film ever made. Um, it's a 2015 documentary made by Jeremy Kuhn and Tim Skusen, Um, and it's about this uh, like 20 plus year project that happened um, where three childhood friends uh, decided um, as you know children did especially in the 80s with like the super super eight cameras and everything they would um, they decided that they wanted to make their own version of Raiders of the Lost Ark and the way that they decided to do that was just by like fully recreating the movie like shot for shot um, and they took it really seriously and what's cool about the resulting movie is that it's actually like pretty good um what they were able to do with nothing um versus what spielberg was able to do with everything um is an interesting idea uh now and and actually the stories um of the story of the making of this fan film is interesting that the characters are really interesting and their interactions and how, what happened. They started when they were 11 and um, they never finished. And 35 years later, they, they came back to do the last scene. And um, it's an interesting story. The actual documentary itself, eh, you know, you'll hear us talk about it. Decide uh, for yourself, maybe go watch it. It's on Netflix. It's a really interesting. It's like a fun watch. Um, I would not say it's necessarily a great documentary, but it's a, it's a fun watch and an interesting story and certainly worth your time. On the call, you have myself, Kelly Bedard, Steve Vargo, Matthew Yipchuk, and Nicole Falgu. So I hope you enjoy, guys. Let's talk about Raiders. Cool. cool. Um, okay, so Matt, I believe this was on your suggestion list. So why don't you was. kick us off? Oh, I had no real reason for suggesting it aside from reading the descriptor and thinking, that sounds cool. And it was. It so was kind of cool. Yeah. It, yeah, it kind of, it gave me everything I want from that kind of documentary. It was engaging. Yeah, the people were endearing yet flawed enough to stay interesting. And like, I would just, yeah, I was stunned that this is like a thing that, that, that snowballed into being as big a deal as it has for them. And then, ah, 
yeah, like I, I don't know what else to say. Like I really, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Like this is the kind of documentary I just really like. Yeah. I like things that, I mean, I like any really well-made documentary, but it's easier for me to invest my interest in a documentary where there's some kind of creative edge to it, uh, which this had. And it's also just really fascinating seeing the life and trajectory of the same people for as long a time span as this covered, yeah. which I loved. Mm -hmm. Those are my initial thoughts. Oh yeah. And it just, it got a lot darker than I expected it to, which I yeah. sadistically enjoyed, but like with, yeah, nice I didn't see the ending. crystal meth coming at all. Oh, no. <laughs> well, one conversation we're like, okay, parents divorce. That's the thing that a lot of, a lot of people from the eighties and nineties experience, because that's when it became less taboo. Mm -hmm. uh, but then they like went, and that's when I got into meth <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, what? <laughs> twist. There's meth involved. I didn't realize we were watching Tiger King. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was I did not see it coming at all. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was interesting. I, I, I didn't was like this. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Ooh, do tell. <laughs> I I thought at first I was like not interested in most of during the whole watching um not until they got into maybe the part where people were the fans were talking about seeing it for the first time that was really the only interesting part to me this whole thing um, why I, I i i feel like the um the directors of this documentary failed their subjects um in that they don't know what part of the story to tell so they told it all kind of half-assedly mm. um so it's like it's either the relationship between the people what happened to like the the makers um there's that part of the story then there's the making of the final scene and then there's the audience reaction and the fandom towards it and i felt like it was all just cut together very loosely there's not a lot of depth to it i felt like i wanted more from every part of that of those stories um even though i was still interested in the subject i was very interested in a lot of things but i feel like i didn't get what i wanted from it um i felt like i i didn't really care for the these these um people making the film um <laughs> i don't know what else to say about that that's um, fair I, th I certainly think when, especially around the part where the meth part came up. He, <laughs> like it came it, and it went. Exactly. They would sort yeah. of bring it up. There was specifically a moment um, where they talked about, like Chris had some sort of like domestic abuse yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. And they, the clip they used was him saying, things got really messy. And then they cut away to something else. And that was strange to me. Um, but I don't, I wonder if the reason... I liked having sort of every element of the story mm -hmm. in it. Um, but I understand that like, if you're having every element, you do end up having a little bit of a shallow. And I, and I wonder if there were certain things they like wouldn't get into in detail. And yeah. that's why they told it that way. Um, but I did, I did wonder if maybe like there, yeah, it was because they didn't have enough on any given um, like on the interpersonal conflict. Cause Jason seemed to be the only one comfortable talking about that. Mm. Um, so I wonder if, if, if it was a necessity choice to do it that way. 
Um, one thing I didn't quite understand, has anyone seen the movie, like seen um, their remake? I've not. I, I've seen some trailers and some side-by-side uh, -side comparisons. They seem to be doing a really good job. Yeah, certainly the yeah. clips they used in the movie were really, or in the documentary, were really good. I would have liked mm -hmm. more of them. I would have especially yeah. liked more from when they were really young. I think that's really funny. Yeah. Um, but what I didn't understand was like, if they never filmed the plane scene, what happens in the plane scene? Yeah. Like, is there just like an X over it or do they just cut to the next scene? Or I'm guessing it would just cut is, I think, right. what would happen. Yeah, that was unclear. Yeah, they never, and that was the only, like, narrative thing I had a really big problem with, was I didn't fully understand. And then, like, did they decide, they make an executive decision to declare it finished, having never finished, having not done the plane scene? Or did they, like, have enough personal squabbles that they, like, quit before they got to the plane scene? And I just didn't understand why it didn't I think get it was done. just a falling out, it seemed like. Like, that's yeah. when life really took off for everybody, so they just sort of... I don't think it was professional squabbles until they came around to doing the big stuff because they were 19 by the time, um, like the last summer that they did it, it was the summer mm -hmm. that they were 19. So it could just be that they either went to college or started working and their summers off were no longer summers off. And they just didn't, they yeah. just didn't finish. You mean? That's the sense I got is that they didn't finish. No, I felt like it was just, I felt like they just wrote it off as being an impossibility because of the sheer mechanics of what is required for that scene. And they just figured out a way to bridge it somehow because I felt like they came to peace with it being completed because of the whole premiere that the moms like threw for them. Like I felt like they ended the movie in a satisfactory way, at least when they were 19 or whatever. And then this was just like, the final thing that at the time was detainable because they didn't have the resources, but then they were just sort of like, well, now we kind of can get the resources because we're not depending on our parents and we're self-sustaining adults, some of us more successful than others. So yeah, I felt like just the way he said something like it was finished, except it would always bug me that we didn't get that last scene. I felt like it was just purely because of the magnitude of what was required for yeah. it. That makes sense. That was the impression I got, especially because they did do the premiere and they had this whole, like, it's over now. And when they put mm -hmm. it on the D VHS shelf and everything. But then what I wanted was some sort of talking head interview about, like, the decision to not try to film the pain mm. scene and what that meant and why that, was that a difficult decision or were they just being purely practical? And, like, I, that was something that narratively was missing for me. Right. And the only time that they ever really mentioned any kind of falling out about it was when it was the, you know, 35 years after the fact, when there are, they are actually filming it now. And they just say that they fell out with Jason because Jason wanted to do the miniature versions. And he was right, right but whatever. <laughs> he was absolutely right. I'm like, I'm like, y'all. Never listen to the weird guy. Why don't they just yeah, listen to the weird guy? <laughs> Like, the weird the guy's part. almost always right. <laughs> I loved Jason that bothered me. So weird. He was mm. so weird. And Jason I felt very familiar to me. I was like, <laughs> I know that guy. <laughs> yeah, it kind of did. It was yeah. like we all we all know a Jason. Mm -hmm. Oh, I know like seventeen Jason. Oh yeah, yeah. but <laughs> you know, I live a specific life. <laughs> I, I I do. I kind of do. Like definitely my college years. 
definitely my high school years, definitely, definitely part of law school years. I knew at least one Jason. Mm-hmm. So, um, right. It was nice. It felt like home. Uh, Steve, what were you saying? Oh, uh, that was a, another part I didn't really enjoy was the, the people making the film. I just thought they weren't like they were kids when they were doing it. So there was some like fun innocence of them trying to really do this very well and this makeshifty version of it. But then in their adulthood, I was like, now it's not feeling that way. And it feels like, I know you want to complete this, but now it just feels like you're just remaking a film as older directors. It doesn't feel makeshifty anymore. Um, And so I, I don't know if like the spirit gets lost in those scenes or in the making of those, of the final scenes, but then like, they're also not doing it well. And I'm like, every step, they are just not smart about it in adulthood. (laughs) Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the, and that's not necessarily like the documentary, like there's a difference, right? Like the documentary, I don't know that they, although I kind of got the sense that the documentarian approached them and was like, hey, let's make a documentary and the frame will be, you're going to finally shoot yeah. Like it was it was not an organic thing. I think it was a documentary's idea to film the last scene. But you're right, like the the spirit of how they were doing it and like the kid has a sorry my dog just disappeared. No, no worries. <laughs> um the spirit of um the kid who says early on like um Spielberg took this many million dollars to make the movie and my dad yeah. did it with his allowance well, like yeah. that was what made it special was this idea of like how good it was with just effort and passion and very little else um and then the when they're filming this one scene which yes is a complicated scene but like it took them like I don't know what they said the budget was but it was pretty big um it was small for what they had to do but it was big um and they had to take all this time off and they had all these people and like it wasn't they did overcomplicate and it got too big and they lost the but that's such a that's almost a testament to like how adult brains work versus how kid brain works and like kids have a scope of imagination and an ability to problem solve that adults just don't have um and i think that's maybe the filmmakers, like the documentarians could have done something a little bit more interesting about that if that had been an insight they had, but I don't think it occurred to them that that yeah, was like, a I, notable difference. I wonder how amazing that those scenes were with the plane would have been if it was more makeshifty and with the kids. Like, I wonder, I want to know what those ideas were yeah. instead of building a plane, blowing it up. So yeah. I feel like them building the yeah. plane is the adult equivalent of makeshifty. Like everything that they're doing is still like approached with the same amateur passion that it was approached with when they were kids. If they had made the plane themselves, maybe, but they yeah. just hired a guy to build a build a fake plane. Um, it's almost like so. The example I would use is I've you know Sarah rules Eurydice the play. Oh, yeah. um, in so there's a lot of like magic in the play and in the stage directions she's very she like says things really literally like they get off an elevator full of rain and the the stones speak and all this kind Mm -hmm. of stuff um and over the years i've seen three different independent productions of this play and then soul pepper did it which is like very well funded company 
And um, all of the, it's one of my favorite plays to see done um, by independent producers because they do the imagination necessary to pull off such crazy stuff is amazing. And the, the, the ideas that come out of it are really, really amazing and um, fascinating. And then Soul Pepper did it and they had tons of money and they just made the elevator rain. Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And they just, they just (laughs) did it because they could afford to. Whereas the people who couldn't afford to had to like figure out a way to do it with acrobatics or something cool. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just always made a more interesting play. Yeah. You don't want to be too literal on in theater all the time. You want the audience Mm -hmm. to work a bit because that's what makes it more fun than just watching a film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I would argue the whole point of this is that they were making the film. So when they, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. so if they're able yeah. to like try to do a perfect replication, I like, <laughs> I think it was interesting. The whole plane thing, just the sheer irresponsibility and danger of it, I thought was fascinating. And so yes. far as how like it mirrored what they were doing as kids and they yeah. pretty well didn't learn their lesson when they almost burnt down the cottage. Yeah. See, that everything. interested me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That definitely interested me. Just like how they, <laughs> their incompetence didn't mm-hmm. change. I don't, I don't, incompetence is too strong. Um, just like they, they didn't have all the, like this is a huge scene with explosives and it just seemed like right. they didn't have all, everything prepared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with that. The, um, the what was I going to say? Uh, the fire stuff when they were kids was blew my mind. Like yeah. that was yeah. so scary. The fact yeah. that Eric is alive is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the plaster as well. Like they exactly. tried to kill yeah. him multiple times. Yeah. Um, and I would say the scariest part because of like what you're talking about with the incompetence. The scariest part of the movie is at the very end. The like epilogue subtitles that go up and it's like eric in 2016 eric quit his job to join chris full-time at rolling boulder productions and i was like no don't do that (laughs) eric you have a cool job working in video games and it pays well and you have a family stop oh yeah Yeah. as soon as i saw that i googled company to see what cool stuff they were hopefully doing and it was just promoting this movie yeah (laughs) which i mean like you can um skate by on that for a while you know well, it's like jason said Eli that's Rock all they have right <laughs> yeah yeah like it it does become it's definitely a moment of jason kind of foreshadowing what happens where mm-hmm. like the idea was a great one it got a lot of media um coverage but at the end of the day they really were a one-trick pony mm-hmm. and i'm i really hope that they found more tricks. Yeah. Because I mean, this can't be it. Jay, I mean, Jason was so bitter and he was like, that was just a mean thing. This, like the way he said it was just mean. Yeah, it was a mean but way of saying it, but it was accurate. Doesn't mean, yeah, yeah. it doesn't mean it's wrong. <laughs> um, and the difference too is like, if, if grown adults decided to make, like they saw this documentary and then they decided to make, you know, shot for shot of whatever, it would be this like cynical, like, oh, we got to promote it. And it would have a Twitter account and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. What, it, what people found so fascinating about this and why it took off was how earnest it was and how it came from a place of like just genuine love. And like, it couldn't have been made by adults. So there is no replicating this success because they can't get their 11 year old selves back. So um, I don't know. Like, I don't know <laughs> what you do. You don't form a company 
after this. You live your small town lives and are the guys from Raiders and yeah. Yeah. You're fine. Like it's, I, want, yeah. I wonder if Super 8 was sort of based off their lives because Spielberg didn't, didn't mm. meet them. And then Super 8 is all about these kids making films and doing kiss scenes and I mean, I think it's mostly off of J.J. Um, Abrams's life, but okay. I would imagine J.J. Abrams basically was these kids. Yeah, exactly. And Spielberg did like produce it too. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like it's just kind of a universal appeal to people oh, yeah. who were sort of of that era, like early yeah. '80s, and were creative types at a time before it was as easy to be creative as it is now with like accessibility of everything, phones, YouTube, whatever. Like, and that's the other thing that I found so cool about this was just sort of a reminder about the effort that had to be put in to make something like this. In addition to like when they were talking about the fans seeking it out and having to like share videotapes and everything. Yeah. Like it was a lot, it meant a lot more to be passionate about stuff when it was harder to get to it. For sure. And it was also Mm -hmm. like, it wasn't really a possibility that they could get famous off of this. Mm -hmm. And so it was just, they were just doing it. Whereas kids these days grow up with this idea of going viral and it's, it's just a totally different tone. There's a purity to this that isn't really possible anymore. And they were doing this around the time of like all of those kid venture movies in the early (laughs) eighties where Mm -hmm. like unsupervised gangs of boys would go and do (laughs) things that like, were just like adventures that were dangerous and you know um so it was like they were they were in recreating their favorite film about adults they were also acting out probably their other favorite films about kids like i think the documentary Mm. brings up goonies yep um yeah and like all of those kind of kind of things it also weirdly reminded me of the first season of dawson's creek because he has that spirit Hmm. too you know he's always making like homemade horror films and stuff (laughs) um definitely that sort of like makeshift uh charm is there which i find very rootable and like i liked the guys i don't know they were they were sweet i liked rooting for them i didn't see again the the meth coming um but it's also like useful because i feel like sometimes you get like if you have like childhood best friends you you don't have that much of a divergence in personality um so it was interesting they had these like three figures who were very different characters as if they had been written for a kid venture film (laughs) Um, there's like it was almost like a buddy comedy it was kind of interesting i will say though i was pretty bummed that i never got to see the final product Mm -hmm. yeah i'm like guys like just just show us a plain scene well they did it's in the credits nicole the credits kind of yeah it's very good it is actually really impressive there were parts where i couldn't tell which one was which it was really annoying and I take back my comment. <laughs> they did, they but they, they show, used, showed the same. Anytime they were doing a side-by-side, they showed the same, the boulder roll scene multiple times. Um, and then at the end credits, they do do the, um, a quite a long section of the plane scene. Um, mm. But they didn't, they didn't use very enough, in my opinion, of the actual yeah. movie. I wanted to see more. And I wanted to see some of this stuff that like 
was maybe a little shoddier. They definitely like the boulder scene looks really good, so they chose the <laughs> boulder scene. But I wanted to see the dog playing the monkey. Yeah. Oh my god, I love. <laughs> I wanted that. to see the gerbil rats. Like, and like, oh, and like how kind of... how did the flame scene, like the bar scene, look yeah. like end up? Like mm-hmm. we we saw them making it. Now I want to see the result. Right. But they didn't show that. Yeah, but I also so, like yeah. really never want to sit through this whole thing because I I don't know. Really, I do. <laughs> Well, I don't know Raiders of the Lost Ark that well, you know, it's the sort of movie right. I saw once when I was a kid with my it's, brother. and like, It's an just... okay, fun action movie with a kind of bad hero. Is he's, it really, the... he's, he's really bad at his job. Is it the one? I know there's one Indiana Jones where you could remove him from the plot. Is that it's it? It's the first one. Yeah. It's the first one. And yeah. that's not, Raiders is number two? No, I think no this Raiders is, number is one. first. Okay, yeah. so this is the one. Yeah, where... this is the first one, yeah. Yeah, okay. So you can pull him entirely from the plot and the plot remains exactly the same. Is that a real thing or such? Basically, yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Everything happens no matter what. Uh, He he doesn't prevent anything. He fails at every step. Um, Even at the very end of the film, it doesn't end up being researched well. It gets put in a storage facility. Um, (laughs) Being researched by top men, um, which doesn't really get explained. It's just like, okay, top men are looking at it. And yeah. movie. Whereas I do, I do think that if if they someone were to like kids were to do a make a shot for shot remake of something that I really really loved, I would want to see it. But because I don't really yeah. care about Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, but what they were talking about, like all of the the people in the comic book shop and stuff, and they were they were talking about like we know shot for shot, and so the element of the screening was very like how are they going to pull off that thing yeah. we know is coming up? Is like I know Nicole, you relate to this because you once sat next to me at a, a youth theater production of. Les Mis and I sort of sit there and I like know there's a high note coming and I cross my fingers and I'm just like come on guys you can do it you can do it and I feel like I'm like at the end of one day more I literally went oh they did it <laughs> I feel like it's kind of that energy but with Raiders I don't know that's the fun of that's the fun of seeing like Shakespeare and other and other plays being done by new new ways and stuff like that is like how are they going to do this in this world or in in this contemporized way or it's mm-hmm. always interesting to see that at a uh, like transition, uh, not transition, um, trans- transcription. Um, I think that's what I want to say. Just like music, like you can you can have a piano put into an orchestra, a piano piece put into an orchestra piece. Right, right. Sort of trans- and just hear it, hear it in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. And I like, agree. And the more familiar yeah. you are with the original source material, yeah. the more rewarding mm-hmm. that is. Yeah. Whereas I just didn't know what I was talking about with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, I, I don't know if you've seen the end of the Sex, sex Education's second season on Netflix, but like they do it, Romeo and Juliet. Know. It's great. It's so fun. That and that <laughs> show is beautifully shot. It's beautifully written, yeah, beautifully acted, blah, blah, blah. And it's beautifully shot, which a lot yeah. of a lot of TV that's actually about characters and emotions doesn't often, you often trade off. Like it's like a high production values, beautifully, like a direct in, direction-based show or it's like a tiny little show that doesn't pay a lot of attention to the visuals. And that show is beautiful, not to get off topic, but everyone should watch yeah. Sex Education right now. <laughs> <Deal>. <laughs> Um, does anyone else? Do, yeah. Oh, I was gonna say we, we should do a shot for shot of my best friend's wedding. <laughs> <laughs> we should with like I a six minute intro song. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and go. Start um, it, Kelly. Pardon me. Start storyboarding it. <laughs> sure. Here, there's some hair. 
Got it. Yeah. Love it. And then I'm going to eat something. I'm writing it up as inventive and confident. (laughs) She could definitely do this. Oh, I got it. One woman shot by shot. Oh, <laughs> well, because it's we quarantine, right? Uh, oh my my God, dog yeah. will play Michael. It'll be fine. We'll figure no, it out. No, no, no. One woman. You will play oh. both Julianne and Michael. <laughs> oh, no. And Kimmy. I can't. I can't. I can't. Yeah. She's, she's beyond me, that, Kimmy. She's no. beyond my range. Um, <laughs> does anyone have anything else to say about Raiders, the, great, the story of the greatest fan film ever made? Uh, it made me, it, it brought up a question I ask in my brain uh, a, a lot, or not a lot, but every once in a while. It actually came up in my brain when, we were, when I was watching Uncut Gems, for whatever reason, during the school play scene. Like, when people are making things, like movies like this, or like school plays or whatever, how, like, how much of it is for the experience and for them versus the actual intention of having people watch it for their own benefit or enjoyment? And at what point does it transition from like that where it's a thing that's solely for somebody versus it being something that is meant to be marketed and meant to be seen by other people? Because I feel like this unintentionally crossed the line, which I thought was interesting seeing how it moved from that thing where they had like, See, presumably no intention of it being seen by anyone except for themselves but then it became something people were seeking out mm-hmm. anyway that's that, that was yeah, a thought that yeah. is very interesting i think i think about that a lot there there are certain companies in toronto um that i don't think should invite critics to their shows because they're very much like they're they're they have no problem selling and and you know making money and they don't need us really mm-hmm. but the the intention is just to make make theater with their friends um and so we're not helping in any way and they're just opening themselves up to criticism which is fine but then they don't take it super well but like if you're specifically just making something with your friends for fun and because it makes you feel good and like you're not and you don't need the promotion you don't need any of that then maybe just don't invite critics and don't like try to find strangers you can fill that audience with your friends um, just like you filled the cast with your friends. So, and I, I do think people will often start out in one category, making something just for the fun, fulfilling element of it. And then they get a little bit like, oh, I could probably monetize this. Oh, maybe, <laughs> uh, maybe like, maybe I can, maybe people would be interested in my little passion project. Um, and, you know, and I say that hypocritically as someone who like broadcast, like I do these little Shakespeare readings and they're totally just for fun, but I broadcast them on YouTube. <laughs> um, not really intending for anything, mostly just like, in case They're I fun. want to rewatch them, but the you know theoretically mm-hmm. it'd be nice if somebody was interested, um, but they are just supposed to be for fun for the enjoyment of the people who are doing them. But I don't know. You're the the mo- probably the person who like makes the most stuff, Matt. So oh, what's the answer? <laughs> that, I don't. I think that's why it's an eternal question <laughs> that's going through my head because I think you constantly are struggling with the idea of like. I really want to do this thing, but is it too obscure for anyone to want to watch it? And then navigating how badly do I want to make it for myself versus other people watching it. Well, yeah, and, especially because you're, mm-hmm. you're such a like passion project based maker. Like everything's like mm-hmm. really strictly in your personal wheelhouse. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's an so my answer is I don't know. That's why I asked. <laughs> I want an answer. The, the makers of the film do get that experience though when they see that lineup and mm-hmm. everyone's there to see their movie. They're like, I, like, we didn't really want this, but this is amazing. This is like amazing that people took it so well and they just love seeing this. They just love seeing what we did. But I think that the line came in when they when I think it became a word of mouth thing and then it turned into something that the media was like, Oh, look at these these cute children doing this thing. And then they were older and they were still going and the media still thought that was interesting. So I think when we see them and they're in their late teens and we start to see the rift with Jason because he's like, I'm right here. I I can tell you about all of that. And also Chris <laughs> flat out stealing Eric's girlfriend. Come on now. Yes. <laughs> what? Yeah, definitely a little weird. What? Um, Come on. I think that that's the moment. I think that's the moment where it became less about the passion project of 11 year old kids and more like, hmm, let's see if we can make something that people will watch. And then part of me is like, I get that they wanted to film the plane scene because they hadn't gotten to film the plane scene, but a lot of it felt like a pull for some of that attention again. Like, you know, to try and get the attention as opposed to fulfilling an impossible dream. Like I get, I get that they wanted to because they left it blank and they didn't want to half-ass it, but it certainly felt like if they hadn't wanted to do it specifically for the attention, they wouldn't have completely dismissed Jason's idea of using the miniature planes. I feel like they would have gone with the safer route instead of the, hey, let's accidentally blow up our pyro guy. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you're right. Um, because, I mean, you see that all the time with people who had like one big success many years ago and then tried to immediately after it tried to do other things and be known for other things. And they didn't want to talk about their, that original project. They wanted to be like known for other stuff. And then years on, they miss the attention and they go back on tour and rent or they do a reunion of 90210 or whatever it was that was like the thing that they were famous for um, that they used to want to get away from and now are returning to because they missed the glory days. Like um, most of the cast from Star Wars except for Harrison Ford who has at yes. least two other yeah. franchises. Yeah. <laughs> or the girl who played Weasel. I mean, she's dead I don't now. know anything about the girl who plays Weasel. Oh, What's exactly. this story? No. Well, she she's not alive anymore, which so I feel bad trashing her career. But <laughs> she, well, it's not trashing her career. She didn't have a career after Sound of Music. She did Sound of Music, and then she did um, that Sondheim Anthony Perkins TV movie, um, um, which is really Evening oh Primrose. Primrose. Yes, Evening Primrose. And then, from what I could tell, just going to her website a couple years ago, she then just like monetized herself as Liesl like and was hireable to go like do school visits and stuff to talk about the experience of being Liesl Von Trapp yeah and, feels very yeah. Jennifer Grey to me that happens <laughs> and, a lot and who else did that oh and then the lady who was uh, the little <laughs> kid in It's a Wonderful Life was kind of the same thing oh um, Zuzu she's Zuzu. so annoying yes <laughs> I hate yes. Zuzu but, that actually, that's like another sort of end to something that I found weird or interesting with this movie is like, I feel like fandom gets to a point where it 
it's not that it's not about the thing that you're initially passionate about, but it takes on a whole like secondary life of its own. Like everyone loved Raiders, but like the original Raiders, but then sort of the obsession and intrigue with this thing became its own like thing. And I think that's also an interesting thing worth noting or thinking about like, at what point do you stop or what, what, at what point do you become more a fan of being a fan of something versus the actual thing? itself For sure yeah <laughs> that's an interesting yeah. insight yeah because i do think a lot of and like take that an extra step that's maybe beyond this actual this particular situation but you see that a lot with like fan communities and online and like people's um uh identities become tied up in like the message board on which they talk about rick and morty more than actually <laughs> about their rick liking of rick and morty yeah <laughs> Um, to take a, I've just watched um, Never Have I Ever, and they, there's like a thing about the Rick and Morty fan page um, in that. Uh, but, um, you know, like I, I do think that happens a lot. One thing I did like about this movie was that the, the fan reaction to the, the move, like the ad- adaptation is what they mm-hmm. called it, um, did seem to at least how they presented it in this documentary to be mostly positive like mostly be about cheering on the kids and really appreciating it as opposed to it didn't turn into like a room situation where it became like a midnight screening like look at these kids and look how like this is like (laughs) bad raiders um it didn't seem to have that like ironic tone which i was a little worried about yeah Yeah, i think that's what i like the shadow the the shadow uh rocky horror like you you go for the the outside of the movie fun yeah more than the rocky horror which is fun itself but you're going Disagree. for the other, hate rocky the horror other... but i see your point <laughs> it's it's fine but the music don't is so love, good I don't know it's not it's not it's bad i can and uh, we're not having this conversation <laughs> okay. because be, it's, it's one of my most unpopular opinions <laughs> Sorry but i strongly believe it's terrible um like <laughs> The movie or the writing and show and like everything? Every single thing about Rocky Horror oh bothers me. Um, <laughs> but I <laughs> understand your I point. That about you. Yes. Um, that I'm, not, I'm not like in love with Rocky Horror. So you're not. Oh, I just, I just like the music. Oh, I don't like, I'm not a Rocky shadow cast goer. I just, I really like the music. I, okay. I had a, I went to a shadow performance and it was one of the best experiences I I had, but it was more theatrical than it was about the movie. Mine was because Chris Bemke was in it. Who? Chris Bemke's going to read Shakespeare on Saturday. <gasps> so is really? Andrew Patty. Yep. Yep. It's going to be a whole oh all star cast this of my so life. Much. Yep. Um, that's not relevant to the conversation at hand. Does anyone have anything left to say about I, Raiders? I, I wanted more, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Sorry, you, you, you I wanted more. I wanted more from the documentary, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Like, if they want me to go look for the film and watch it or research more, or if I just was missing a lot of stuff I wanted, more depth. Right. It almost would have been better as a docu-series, maybe. Right. Mm. But I do think we, we do have a tendency to think, like, in this age of television and unlimited television, that, like, every story deserves to be a docu-series, <laughs> which drives me a little crazy, too, because, like, a lot of, like, Tiger King easily could have been 90 minutes yeah. and right. spared us all, and also could yeah. have been better made. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that would have spared us all so much grief. Um, but there is there was definitely more there. If the documentarians had been willing to and able to get 
more from the subjects. I do think there was some stuff Chris especially just didn't want to talk about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It came across like he came across as the one that really was gung ho about getting this all together, but also the one who really enjoyed his privacy on a lot of very interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think Chris really wanted the world to know about this project because it makes him look really cool. Especially right. he gets to play indie. Like he mm-hmm. look he looks really cool in the right. thing. Um, and in order to get it, but he also like wants to maintain that image. So he doesn't want to give any of the any of the bad side of it. Mm-hmm. But he's really invested in the. Um, in the good side of it whereas Jason knows Mm -hmm. if they make this at all he's gonna look weird because he is weird (laughs) and so he might as well tell the truth Um, Mm -hmm. whereas Chris is invested in maintaining Mm -hmm. like a like a reality tv star who got a really good edit the first time when they come back (laughs) for a new season they're like guard is our guarded is all get out and like lying at every turn trying to desperately maintain this uh, persona that's not a realistic portrayal of a human being. And Chris looked really cool. He wanted to look cool. Yeah. I feel like... came off a little nerdy. Oh, well. Who came off a little nerdy? Eric. I loved Eric. I know. I loved him. I would have had such a crush on Eric in high school. Oh, you absolutely would. (laughs) 100%. (laughs) The the end end decision to quit his job, just a dipshitty thing. Oh, yeah. No, Mm -hmm. that wasn't good. I'm like, dude, you were smart the whole movie. What the hell? Um, Was he, though? He he set himself on fire. Yeah, I mean, He was smarter. He was just because he's a nerd doesn't mean he's smart. I think that's an important distinction. <laughs> that's true. We that's tend to be like, ooh, that person wears deep, glasses. There's deep They're smart. Nerd. There's <laughs> exactly. Deep nerd. Why do you yeah, think true. I wear glasses? Um, no, I mean, I, to be fair, that's that's pretty accurate because he also just spent close to fifty grand building a plane and blowing it up <laughs> for shits and giggles with his buddies, mm-hmm. like. Although this is coming from a woman whose better half would spend fifty thousand dollars on shoes, so if would they would they blow there, them up though? I don't know. I think he's a little attached to his shoes. Mm. Oh my Very god! Somebody's different. gonna end up editing together all of the like random mic tidbits. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 and it'll become a fan favorite. He's just—he's a subplot just going through. Whoa, that's a nice shoe. Looks okay. like a shoe to me. It's a really nice shoe. <laughs> Does in fact look like a shoe. I don't know what to tell you. For reference, mm-hmm. it is bigger than my head. <laughs> oh, I thought that was like a weird forced perspective thing. No. It's actually that big. Oh, my. These are a size 15. Okay. I thought you had to like order those special on the internet. He does. Okay. Melda Marcos. How tall is he? 6'4". <laughs> Okay, makes more sense. <laughs> yeah. Okay, guys, now that we've had a whole conversation about shoes, I'm calling it. Uh, <laughs> so I enjoyed this movie. I'm sorry Steve didn't, but I understand your points. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't get to say my closing thoughts. Oh, oh what are your closing thoughts? Okay, because I realized them when I heard snippets of what everyone else had to say. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think the movie has a lot of potential that it like I enjoyed watching it but I think more because of the ideas that it put forth and it would have fully embraced it if what's his face Chris had been a lot more open and just the whole nature of escapism through fandom and through things that you're able to connect with other people no matter how different they are I think that that's 
something really beautiful there and it would have been a lot more satisfying if they like dug more into the like dark depths of some of their histories and then saw how this was like the one thing to salvage like I think my favorite line was when the dad said that Eric was like the rope for Chris to hold on to his whole life and so like to me that was still kind of the heart of the movie and I saw that from start to finish but if that was more like a direct through line or motif I think the movie would have like blossomed beautifully that was a that was probably my favorite line as well I really like Mm -hmm. a good analysis of interpersonal relationships that's really my jam yeah (laughs) would have always background was so hard like Mm-hmm. And we really, I mean, even just uh, the domestic incident, the crystal meth incident, but also the abusive stepfather thing. Yeah. Where he just mentions breaking the dog's legs. Arm. Yes, and I'm just like, whoa, what? What? His best friend didn't even know until that moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought like, he was lying. Mm-hmm. And then to to such a degree that even his best friend of thirty something years didn't know that this was happening so it was it was interesting to see he really was the rope in many many different ways Mm -hmm. but he was also he was also kind of the life vest because when you think about it uh he the only time that chris really goes underwater is when raiders isn't there and when they had that falling out and eric wasn't around but I think what's interesting about the, the the rope metaphor is that he pulls him up, but he can also be pulled down. Oh, good point. Right? Mm. Good point. Yeah, I think that's yeah. that's where that gets really interesting. Um, and mm-hmm. I think to, to Steve's sort of overall point and like going off of what we've all been talking about just the last couple minutes, like the story is there. These people are really compelling. Their, their dynamic amongst each other is really compelling. The, it's there. The documentary doesn't necessarily get to it or fully explore it um in a in the way in a way that like it sort of teases that it's there which is even more frustrating like if we didn't right. think it was that interesting or like that there was more there it'd be fine but it sort of teases us and then doesn't give us um that much more but and then it's sort of like a, okay well clearly the documentary people like hit a wall with what they were able to get from their subjects mm. but then whose responsibility is that is that then the, yeah. still the documentarian's responsibility to get to be better interviewers and get the truth from people or you know or, or to do they have to reframe the whole thing so right not, you know like it, it, it's an interesting conversation about documentary filmmaking i don't know a lot about the practice um but right so i mean there's something the story was said. there right there's something really to be mind. said about the fact that like yeah it was mentioned but it's not explored. So it's, it's like, okay, well, I, the documentarian either need to step up and try to get the story, or if they're adamant that the story is not going to be told, then it's up to them to then edit that part out because mm. they, the, the snippets that come up are really bizarre talking head moments that don't necessarily need to be in there. They're literally just inserted for the, I guess, shock value that, you, you kind of go, holy crap, crystal meth, but that's a talking head. Or holy crap, doggy trauma, that's just a moment where he's talking to the friend, but it's intercut in other stuff. So just don't include those scenes. Mm-hmm. So I thought that, that that was something that probably should have done better, but 
you know, I'm also not a documentarian, so <laughs> I don't have room to talk. <laughs> I wish they started at that, uh, uh, the moment around an hour into the film where they are talking to the people that have just seen it for the first time in this, in this random festival. Like, I wish they were just started with that. Cause that were, I thought is it's like, this is where it goes. This is this exciting thing that people were talking about. Like, this is where, this is why there's a documentary about this. Like, I wish it would have started there and then go back and tell Instead us. Instead of the weird check cutting scene? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that, 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 that I... was the only interesting, like literally I was like, oh, this is interesting to me, this part. Well, no, I, I think that I think the story of them making it is more interesting to me personally. And I like what Matt was talking about earlier, the, the sort of tension between who, who are we making this for and are we making it as a passion project and what does it then turn into and does it cross the line into something that's for other people? Um, and I think establishing it as something that is for them and then having it cross that line is interesting, but, you know, teach their own, right? That's why we talk about these things, because <laughs> we have room to disagree. I also think That's they should have filmed it somewhere where it doesn't rain True. every day. Yeah. Yes, but again, they're, they're geeks, but that doesn't mean they're smart. <laughs> they still decided to film yeah. this in Mississippi. Yeah. Um, but I, that's why I'm, I was very excited to see that we were doing a documentary today be, for that reason, because it's interesting to step away from, I mean, we had our apocalypse-themed movies. <laughs> then we had our brief comic relief movies. Mm -hmm. Then we had some of the darker stuff. And now we have a documentary. And it, <laughs> it was nice to, to have that point. It's nice to kind of try and get in the mind of the documentarian for a little bit. Good. All right, and on that note, I will see you guys on Wednesday. Meow. Bye. 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 Bye.